Hey, Manager After God friends. Thank you for your continued faithfulness and listening each and every week. Jennifer and I have often shared with you about how important prayer is in the life of a believer. It's so important, in fact, that we're told this in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will for us to pray, and we want to inspire you to begin praying for your spouse and marriage every day. This world hates marriage, and so does our enemy because he knows the power that your marriage is meant to have in this world. He knows that if you and your spouse are praying and chasing boldly after God together, that the impact Christ will have in and through you will be powerful. So we need to be praying more than ever before. Our heart is to encourage you along with everyone who listens to this show to be praying for your spouses and your marriages, to be strengthened, renewed, healed, prepared, and empowered to do the ministry that God has for you to do in this world together. So, Jennifer and I would love to invite you to join the thousands of other couples in taking our 31-day marriage prayer challenge. This is a completely free and fun way to build a habit of prayer in your marriage. All you have to do to join is visit marriageprayerchallenge.com and fill out the registration form. Once you do that, you will begin to receive an email every day from us during the 31 days to not only remind you to pray for your spouse, but we'll also give you various topics and prompts to help you know what to pray for. We dare your marriage to start praying like never before. Start the challenge today at marriageprayerchallenge.com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for taking a few seconds from listening to our dear friends, Jen and Aaron Smith. We love what they're sharing here at the Marriage After God podcast. I'm Angie Tolpin from the Courageous Parenting Podcast, where along with my husband, Isaac, we weekly tackle relevant topics facing parents today from a biblical perspective and digging into the Word of God. Our mission is to empower and equip Christian parents to raise confident Christian kids in these unprecedented times. Enjoy listening to the rest of the Marriage After God podcast, and don't forget to check out the Courageous Parenting Podcast when you're done. Hey, we're Aaron Jennifer Smith with Marriage After God. Helping you cultivate an extraordinary marriage. And today we're going to talk about how love covers a multitude of sin. Welcome to the Marriage After God podcast, where we believe that marriage was meant for more than just happily ever after. I'm Jennifer, also known as Unveiled Wife. And I'm Aaron, also known as Husband Revolution. We have been married for over a decade. And so far, we have four young children. We have been doing marriage ministry online for over seven years through blogging and social media. With the desire to inspire couples to keep God at the center of their marriage, encouraging them to walk in faith every day. We believe the Christian marriage should be an extraordinary one, full of life, love, and power that can only be found by chasing after God. Together. Thank you for joining us in this journey as we chase boldly after God's will for our life together. This is Marriage After God. Okay, Aaron, so we we survived kind of a hard week. We did survive. I mean, We're barely our kids coming survived. on the other side of it, yes. <laughs> um, but we're not, you know, the only ones going through this. So we thought we would just give you guys a little update of our family and hopefully encourage some of you out there who might, it might be hitting as well. Yeah, our whole family got the flu. It was bad, but not bad. It yep. was kind of a weird thing. Well, I'll say this. The Lord spared me and gave me the grace to be able to help everyone. And I felt, you didn't even really get sick. You got some of the, like you felt sick. Yeah, like, you know, the gut pain. Like, yeah, but I you just, didn't have any other symptoms, which was awesome. And the rosy cheeks. Like I felt, I felt like every once in a while, like I really don't feel good right now. I need to go lay down. But for the most part, I was able to be there to help everyone, which made me really ner- nervous because, you know, people were, you and the kids were throwing up and I just thought, 
me at this stage of the game in pregnancy, throwing up would not go over well with my body. No. And, <laughs> and so we're definitely thanking God, which, um, we did a lot of, yeah. um, oddly. Um, but I, I, not to be too graphic, but I'm pretty sure I put a rib out from how hard <laughs> I was throwing up. Uh, it's yeah, it's still really sore. Um, but what's, what's awesome is, um, a couple of things. I just want to praise you, Jennifer, because I feel like you handled everyone being sick and the inconvenience of it so well. Mm. Um, I, I, I think I even told you once I was like, I can tell you're walking in the spirit. Like you were, <laughs> your attitude was good. Like how much cleaning had to be done. It was a lot of work. Uh, it's not, it's no fun when literally like all the boys are throwing up and yeah. it's like, there's no clean blankets. It's all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So we, but we survived. Uh, we're coming on the other side of that. Uh, but one thing we practiced, um, that's, I don't think we've ever done it before. Not that we're not, not thankful to God. In this kind of circumstance. But, it's not um, at the forefront of our minds. I did a post uh, a couple weeks ago, encouraging men to thank God for everything. If they get cut off in traffic, if, you know, something bad happens. You didn't even, say if your whole family comes I, down with sickness, I know. did if you? If something good happens, <laughs> I just said, say, whatever it is that happens today, thank God for it. Mm. And I tried practicing that. And so I'm like literally in the like fetal position in the bathtub and I'm trying to thank God. I'm like, okay, God, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being sick. And I, I was like, what, why am I thanking God for this? Well, thank you for reminding me that I'm human, mm-hmm. that like I'm fragile. Thank you for reminding me that one day I'm not going to have this sickness. Or that we need to pray. Yeah. Thank you for re- reminding me, like humbling me, yeah. showing me that my weakness. And so I, there was a lot of things to thank God for, for being sick. And I, and I directly thanked God for being sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we of course have thanked God for healing us and like, you know, sparing our family from being even worse. Cause it probably could have been worse. Something, Anyways, that really, yeah. something that really stood out to me is I didn't know you had this perspective kind of going into everyone being sick. And I wouldn't say I was there with you in those mm-hmm. beginning moments, but, um, you brought the family to the living room and you said, you know what, we're going to pray and we're just going to thank God today. And I think even one of the kids asked, why are we, why are we thanking God? Um, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I was questioning it in my own heart too. Like, okay, where's this going? But it was so beautiful to hear your prayer and you starting out saying, God, thank you for this sickness. And it was, it was humbling for me and for my heart to go, oh yeah, you know, and Mm. to have that perspective before him. And then I got to share this other experience is just a a friend of mine who their family also got it really bad. Pretty much our whole church got sick. But I met with, (laughs) I met up with her for coffee when it was all passed and, and she goes, you know, I just found, we, we found our whole family just worshiping God through it. And it was so cool. Like, kind of the same thing. And I said, I didn't really worship him through it, but at the end of all the laundry being done, all the bathrooms being clean and having taken a shower, I came out singing victory in Jesus. So that was awesome. But but it is, it is worship, like thanking God as worship. So like whatever he gives, I think Job says it, should we not thank God for the the good and the evil, Mm -hmm. like the, the bad things that happen? Like we thank God for those too, because he's, he's God and he deserves our Thanksgiving. Um, and at the end of the day, salvation is so much greater than anything that we can go through. So at minimum, you can be like, God, thank you so much that one day I'm going to be with you. That is so good. So if your family happens to uh, get hit by whatever bug this is, um, whatever's going around, we just wanted to encourage you guys to move forward with a thankful heart and to trust God and to be Mm -hmm. prayerful. um, And also just to be patient because we know it's an inconvenience. We know it's hard. It it takes away from your work schedule. It takes away from uh, things on your to-do list that maybe you're hoping to do or whatever it is. We we know it's hard, but if God's allowing it to happen, we can trust him and Mm -hmm. um, walk through it with him. Yeah. So uh, that was just a little update on our, our flu uh, campaign, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we want to encourage you. We have a new, a new challenge. 
Um, we've been doing a lot of these lately, a lot of new downloads and challenges and uh, free things that you guys can get from us. And our new one's called the parenting prayer challenge.com. We launched it last week and this week you get to do We were still encouraging parents to sign up to pray for either their daughter or their son or both. Uh, so if you haven't signed up for the parenting prayer challenge, it's completely free. We're going to send you 31 prompts every day with en- encouraging you to pray for different things for your child. Over 31 days. Over 31 Not days. 31 yeah. emails in one day. Yeah, that's happened one time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, one a day. And the whole idea is that at the end of the 31 days, you, you've built a habit of praying for your children. I'm mm-hmm. sure all you parents love to pray for your children, but mm-hmm. we just wanted to give this resource to encourage you to pray more, to pray deeper, to pray more consistently mm-hmm. and give you ideas on what other things to pray for, for your kids. Yeah. And I'll add this. Um, it goes hand in hand with our books, 31 prayers for your son and for your daughter. And if you have those books, oh, this will be an incredible uh, reminder. It's kind of like an alarm, right? Because yeah. your email comes through and then you're like, oh yeah. And so you can get the book and go along with it that way too. Mm-hmm. So uh, parenting, prayerchallenge.com, all one word, spelled the way you would think it's spelled, and uh, sign up for free today. All right, guys, uh, we've been doing this new thing. Uh, we mentioned a few times this season, we, we're trying to do like a, a marriage um, episode. We're doing a devotional style episode, you know, a Q&A. We're trying to give a little bit more diversity in the kinds of things we're bringing up. And this episode's going to be a, a devotional style one. We're going to talk about some scripture and uh, something that we've been learning, something I taught on at church. Uh, and so we hope it encourages you. And why don't you... Jennifer, start off by oh, reading. I was going to sit back and let you teach oh, you're for just 30 let, minutes. Oh, yeah. I'll just do it. No. Just go for it. Why don't, you let, why don't you read the scripture that we're going to be talking about, okay. and then we'll go into it. So it's 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, and it says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This is a great scripture in, in 1 Peter, and I, we're excited to talk about it. And what it means for us as believers, not only in our marriages, but just in life in general and walking in the body of Christ and the power that is in our love for one another and what that means and looks like. So we're going to dig into this, you know, these few scriptures and kind of break it down and talk about some stuff. And and Jennifer, you might have some questions, but we're just going to break it down and see how this applies to us in our life. So the first thing I want to point out is like where our perspective should be. And, and Jennifer, you read it. Uh, the very first thing it says in, in verse seven is the end of all things is at hand. I feel like it should be like an exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost as it's a semicolon, which says everything I'm about to say is attached to this yeah. statement. The end of all things is at hand. And so, you know, we, we can easily quickly think like, oh, this is talking about, you know, Jesus coming back or the end of days, right? But um, in the in the New Testament, when it talks about end of days or all things at hand or the the um, the generation that the end of the generation, uh, it's mostly talking about all of the things that needed to take place, needed to occur for the for the salvation story, for redemption, mm. God's plan for redemption that He's been planning and preparing since Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, and so when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, he's saying that essentially Christ has been born. He's died and he's resurrected. Like we have what we need. Like the, the thing <laughs> that God has planned to take place has taken place. Yeah. Which means a lot. It means that we can now draw near to God. It means that we now can have salvation and a right relationship mm-hmm. with God because without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
and his ascension and him sending the Holy Spirit, there is no, like we can't be made right with God. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, the end of all things is a hand. The end of everything that God planned for salvation has been done. As Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. Mm -hmm. So it didn't necessarily mean that, hey, the end of the world's tomorrow. But it's also an illusion. It's, it alludes to Christ returning. Mm -hmm. Because now that the church age has begun, you know, the spirit is living in man, we're made right with God, the, the bride of Christ is growing, we have an expectation of Christ's return. So mm -hmm. we're in this imminent return zone. Mm -hmm. Like at any moment, Christ can come back. And we are, we're called to walk a certain way. Yeah. And so that's kind of this, he starts off these statements with, here's how you should be thinking. Realize first and foremost, you have everything you need because Christ died and resurrected. He's given you his spirit. So now you can walk in his spirit and not the flesh. Like the things that we need to accomplish what he's about to tell us have already happened and are already available to us mm -hmm. and be given to us. So that's, that's our perspective in our relationships with our spouse, our children, our church body, that the end of all things is at hand. Like first and foremost, I have everything I need in Christ Jesus to walk this way mm -hmm. that we're about to talk about. And I walk this way because I look forward to Christ coming back mm -hmm. and I want to not be ashamed you know, at his return. I want to stand boldly at his return. I want to be excited for his return. It gives those relationships real, like a lot of depth and, and purpose, how we interact with each other and, you know, how we're supposed to be in, in those relationships with each other. Right. And so if you think about your marriage, you say, well, I just can't because my husband is this, this, or this. together, you're just facing a really hard circumstance. Yeah. Like we, we went through stuff yeah. and it's like, oh, our, our love for each other is stifled because of the, this hard circumstance or these character traits in the other person. But if our mindsets are on like, wow, like, first of all, I can because Christ did mm -hmm. and I should because Christ is coming. Like my perspective and the way I treated you and the way we treat others would totally be transformed because we're no longer thinking of this like, like immediate, like, well, how did you treat me and how am I going to treat you? Well, it's not about right. us. Exactly. Right. Which is a, a powerful thing. And you know, this is, this is being taught to the, to the believer, mm -hmm. but the, the ramifications for this is in every aspect of your life, you know, most directly in your marriage. And then also most directly in all of your relationships with other believers in the church, we need to have this perspective. Okay. So then moving on in that verse, the next word is therefore. Yeah. And uh, so the end of all things is at hand. Therefore. therefore. Yeah. And uh, someone always says, what's therefore, therefore. And you, you ask yourself like, well, why is that there? And it's attached to the last statement. So since the end of all things is at hand, be this way. And what does it say right there? Jennifer? Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So in, in relation to our relationships and in our life and in the way we interact in this world, self-controlled. How often do we say the word self-controlled in our house? Well, we're in the beginning stages of training our kids. So I feel like we say it all the time, multiple like times a day. Like 150,000 times a day. <laughs> Are you being self-controlled? Self <laughs> Be self-controlled. You're not being self-controlled. You must have self-control like over and over and over and over again. Cause that's, I mean, our kids are learning to have control over themselves. That's mm -hmm. the point. Mm -hmm. uh, but self-controlled meaning in my life, am I in control or is my flesh in control? Mm -hmm. Cause when my flesh is in control, we are not self-controlled. We're going we to just give way to whatever gonna, we want. Yeah. yeah. When I'm angry, I'm just going to say what I want to say. Mm -hmm. Oh, well I was angry. That's why I said it. Well, that's not self-controlled. Yeah. That's just blurting out 
what's coming to your mind mm -hmm. because you're angry rather than considering the other person. Which the mind is the next thing it says. Yeah. Sober-minded, which, yes, this is talking about sobriety, you know, not on drugs, not drunk with alcohol. But sober-minded is much more than just, we talked about this in another episode. I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's, uh, it's having a right way of thinking, a mm -hmm. clear way of thinking. So if you think about, um, we just talked about anger. You, you know, Jennifer, you do something that really frustrates me and then I get so angry I just like start saying whatever I want. Like I'm not being sober minded. I'm letting my wrath and my anger control my words and my actions rather mm -hmm. than my mind. It's like being self-controlled of your mind specifically. Like right. being, being able to have those, those thought processes and walk yourself through it mm -hmm. mentally. Uh, another example of being sober minded is, is, is fear. So there's nothing wrong with natural fear. Like, you know, fire is going to burn you so you don't touch it. But we're talking about like, there's, there's something going on in the world and it's causing us to have this anxiety and fear, which causes us to make decisions and not seek out wisdom and like, oh, we're going to go do this thing because X, Y, Z over here. I don't know how that's going to turn out. Therefore we're going to, mm -hmm. and so that's not sober minded either. Instead of like thinking through what is reality, thinking mm -hmm. through what is the repercussions if X, Y, Z happens, mm -hmm. or if we don't have what we need, or if like thinking sober minded is rather than operating in the fear and just making decisions off that you're operating in knowledge mm -hmm. and wisdom and you seek counsel and you're slow to act, slow to speak. Uh, so that's the idea of sober minded. So it's, since we know that the end of all things is at hand, meaning we have everything we need in Christ, meaning all the things that God planned for redemption has happened. You have the Holy spirit, be self-controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. So real quick, I just have to just hearing you repeat that. It says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That means you're praying. So it's yeah. like it's almost like it's saying, like, be self-controlled and sober-minded and prayerful. Like, be, be a person of prayer. <laughs> right. And let's, we just talked about being sick. If our minds were in this position of thankfulness and we were just wallowing in the, in the suffering, like, because, you know, throwing up's not fun. Not feeling good is not fun. And we could just sit there and be like, woe is us. And we're not even being sober-minded in that. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're like, you know, thank you, Lord. It actually helped us elevate above our current circumstances to be able to see it from a heavenly position. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, just because this thing is happening doesn't mean I stop being a Christian. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean I can now act X, Y, Z, be this way, say these things. No, I actually, even in this, mm -hmm. can walk this out. You know, because we know all things have been fulfilled in Christ and his return is imminent. Even in my sickness, I get to say, well, if Christ was to come right now, I want to, I want to be like him. Yeah want to look like him. And, you know, this is how we must live as people who claim the name of Jesus. You know, we, we can't claim the name, but not walk it out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before you move on, I, I, I feel like maybe some of our listeners um, would have the same question. And that is, uh, it says for the sake of your prayers. So w w does that mean that your prayers are in trouble if you're not being self-controlled or you're not being sober-minded? What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, and in first Peter, I think we get another picture of that when it talks about husbands walking with their wives in an understanding way. Mm -hmm. It says for the sake of your prayers. Mm -hmm. So there is a way that the believer can walk that would hinder our prayers. And uh, it could be put this way. Someone told me once, God's not going to tell you to do a new thing until you've done the old thing, mm -hmm. like the thing he's asked you to do already. And so it's almost like this. We're looking for a new, you know, word from the Lord. We're looking for guidance and wisdom. And he's like, well, 
but you're not even like loving your wife right now. Mm-hmm. I have a like, really good example of this when it comes to kids. Um, all of just, I think it was yesterday. She came up to me and she was like, mom, I don't have anything to do. And so I gave her something to do. It was a small task. And uh, she turned around really quickly and said, I don't want to do that. What else can I do? <laughs> what else can I do? And I was, I looked at her as a sweetheart. Here you go do what mommy asked you to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and there, there's even a scripture that says, go back and do the first things mm-hmm. that you've been told to do. Like you've less, left your first love. We learn in Revelations. There's this idea of like, God's already giving us, given us some commands, given us some things to do as believers in his power to do it. And we want to skip over those things. And we're going to talk about this. We want to skip over those things to get to the other things. We're like, well, I don't want to do that thing. Like loving that person is difficult or praying for that person. I, eh, let's pray for this big thing over here. Or how about I'll be self-controlled, but I, I don't care about being sober-minded. You know exactly. What I mean? like, like, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense because <laughs> if you're not, if you're not sober, like let's talk about being drunk, you're not in self-control either. Yeah. Like those things go hand in hand. So yes, I, I, the Bible teaches that our prayers can be hindered. Mm. I don't know exactly what that means. Does that mean that God doesn't hear him at all? Or is it that I am hindered? Like, I'm not going to want to pray more. I'm, I'm, mm. I don't have a desire to, I'm, I'm frustrated. Mm. No, Lord, I don't want to. Like, it's like when our, like you said, our kids, when they're, when they have an attitude true or why it crosses his arms, puts his head down. It's yeah. like, he doesn't want to look at us. Mm. Or right? like that example you gave of us being sick, if we weren't, sober-minded and self-controlled, we wouldn't have prayed in thankfulness. So yeah, it hindered in a way that if, if we're not walking that way mm-hmm. and we're not being that way, then we won't be praying at all. Yeah. We won't so, be a people of prayer. Regardless of how it plays out. Yeah. I don't want either of those things. Yeah. I want to be able to come to God boldly. And I also want God to receive me and hear my prayers. Uh, it, it, the Bible tells us that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. It's in James. And I want my prayers heard. I want them to avail much. I want, and when I pray for my family, when I pray for health, when I pray for, uh, opportunities, when I pray for other, my, my family members, when I pray for the lost, I want those prayers to be heard and to have power with Mm -hmm. God. So that God says like, well, be sober minded and self-controlled so that your prayers won't be hindered. Yeah. Then I should just do that. Do it. Like (laughs) it's not easy all the time, but that's what we get to do because the end of all things is a end. So Mm -hmm. I, I should be able to do it. Okay. So let's move on to this next part of this verse. Well, the next verse. Then, Yeah, the next verse. There you go. Verse eight starts off, it says, above all. Okay, and I just wanted to highlight this idea. So if you're in your Bible, which that'd be awesome if you were, you should be. It says, above all, comma, keep loving one another earnestly. And I, I just wrote down some ideas of, of a, what what's the all. Like above all, above how generous you might be fan- financially, like I've given so much. Above being right. Like, well, I know that this scripture means this. You know, above memorizing every scripture, above being debt-free, above your health, above your safety, above all, above everything that you see as good, because these things are good for the most part, don't neglect to do this thing. Mm -hmm. So above all, do this thing, right? Do you think it's easy for us in our flesh to justify like, well, I don't have to love that person and we don't even get along, but I'm doing this over here. So that's, I'm good with God because Mm -hmm. this over here. It, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, we, we do this all the time. And there's a scripture I'll bring up that shows this hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, that person doesn't need to be in my life because of X, Y, and Z. But um, you know what? I, I, but I, I read every day. I'm in the word every day. You know, oh, but I pray. I'll pray for that person. I don't have to love them, but I'll, I'll pray for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that I've heard a lot, and it doesn't make any sense, but we say this like, oh, I love them. I just don't like them. Mm-hmm. Almost as if love is this general like, 
yeah, we're like in the same like city, but I'm never going to talk to him. I'm not going to be kind to him. I'm not going to be cordial. I'm not going to even, I don't want to go out of my way for them. I'm not going to give to them. I'm not going to help them. I'm not going <laughs> to. So well, what love is if that? If you're doing that, I was going to say, what's your definition of love? And that's <laughs> my point is mm-hmm. we, we, okay, I'll, I'll just do this. So the point of everything I said above all are not that we shouldn't do those other things. Cause I never want someone to be like, well, all we have to do is love others and we don't have to you know, be generous and we don't have to, you know, read our word and memorize scripture and like these things that are actually really good for us and my health and my state and all these things don't matter as long as I just like love. No, all of those things matter, but we don't neglect this one thing. And often it's the one thing we neglect. Mm. We work on all those other things because we have, those are easier. Those are um, personal. We can control them. We can't control other people. And that's why it's so hard. Mm. Um, And I think of this in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says this, he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And then get what he says, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Like do it all. <laughs> He's like, you, yeah, you, you spent time, you know, you, you outwardly show all these good things that you do, yet you've neglected justice. Like you don't care about those in your midst who need justice and you've been unjust mm-hmm. or showing mercy and faithfulness. You haven't remained faithful to your spouses. You haven't remained faithful to your people. You haven't remained faithful to, and he's saying these things you should have done without neglecting those other things that you do. Mm-hmm. And so that was the point I was getting at is like, yeah, all those other things are good, but we cannot throw out loving one another earnestly. Mm-hmm. So you use the word earnestly. Why don't you define that just for our listeners really quick? Okay. Cause it's a pretty powerful word. Uh, and it's, a, and it's how he wants us to love each other. It's not mm-hmm. like, Hey, I love you. Yeah. See you later. Uh, oh yeah. We're, we're good buddies. It's a, it's something deeper than that. He says, love one another earnestly. And the definition of earnestly means with sincere and intense conviction. It's, it's so powerful. It's like a, it's, it's not just a, in passing, like you, a word you just say about someone. Mm-hmm. It's a life lived out way of loving. It's a, my, my actions and my, and the way I think reflect the deepness of my conviction and belief about how I love you. Mm-hmm. And so a, a perfect example is in marriage. I love you. And it's not just a word. I show you by how I take care of you and how I, I show up every day mm-hmm. and how I sit and talk with you and how I ask for forgiveness and I be, and I'm patient. And like all these things are the actions of my love for you. Yeah. I think that's really important to point out because I think in marriage specifically, you know, you can text each other back and forth. I love you or say it at the end of a phone call, you know, conversation, um, saying it in passing or before you leave to go to work, but are your actions proving what those words actually mean? So you've convinced yourself in your mind. Yeah, of course I love my, my husband. Of course I love my wife. And I tell them every day, but how do they know? Are your actions yeah. supporting your words? Yeah. And so let's break down this definition a little bit. It says with sincere and intense conviction, that's the earnestness. Sincere means free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. So I don't just say it. It's not just a word that I use so that I look good with my other Christian friends and or brothers Or that you and know sisters. you should use because you're married. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, of course I love so-and-so but yet you don't truly believe it in your heart. Mm. You struggle with believing like, well, do I love him? Like, I mean, like I, I could move on. I, I, I'm not going to, cause I don't want to look bad. Like that's not love. It's a free from pretense or deceit. So there's nothing, you're not saying it 
to receive anything like, oh, good. I'm so good that you love that person. Mm -hmm. And you're not saying it out of like, it's not a lie. Like when you say you love someone, it's truthful. It's a genuine, genuineness, a real thing from within inside of you. And then that second part, intense conviction. And I smashed two definitions together because the word intense and conviction, um, I put them together and it's a highly concentrated and firmly held belief in what you are doing. Hmm. Right. So it's not going away. My love for my brothers and sisters in Christ, my love for others in the world, my love for my wife, it's real and it's going to drive my actions and my decisions and my attitudes. And it's going to cause me to repent and it's mm-hmm. going to cause me to change and grow because that conviction is solid. It's there. And when I'm challenged in that conviction, when you, the listener is challenged in that conviction of love, they get to ask themselves, well, do I truly love so-and-so? And then they get to rem- remember, well, the end of all things is a hand. I must love so-and-so mm-hmm. regardless without pretense it needs to be truthful and powerful. That's what that that word earnestly means. I love that that you know definition of intense conviction that you shared and it makes me think how intentional this type of love truly is because That's a good word intentional. You, yeah, it's intentional because you're you're motivated by your your like it said, firmly held belief in what you are doing. So everything Mm -hmm. that I do in our home, everything I do with our kids, everything I do with you comes out and is an overflow of this belief that I have that I truly love you and that genuine Mm -hmm. feeling that you talked about earlier. And that's such a a different situation when you compare it to just saying the words, I love you, or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just going about your day without any Mm -hmm. motivations as to why you're doing those things. You know, I kind of think it makes me think of like the type of uh, motivational speaking you hear when it comes to entrepreneurship, where it's like, you got to know your why. You got to know your why. why? What's your why? Um, So it makes me go there when I think about in marriage, why are you doing all the little things that you do throughout your day? It's because you love that person. Mm -hmm. And it's not superficial and it's not just a word, Mm -hmm. but it's an actual held belief. Like, no, I love my wife. Mm -hmm. I love John Mm -hmm. over there. Like truly love them, not just we're Christians and we love each other. Right. And if we if we truly consider this, you guys, then when we get into a hard spot in marriage, when we get into conflict or something happens unexpectedly that you don't desire, you can continue on because there's this hope knowing that, well, no, no I love mm-hmm. them. You know, I know this is hard, but God's <clears throat> given me a love for them. Yeah. Well, what I think is really cool, I just thought about this. Often we think about this idea of growing in love, which we do. We, we, we change in our, our level of love. It like, deepens. Yeah. But it's actually, the way this is stated, it's an, actually a starting point. Mm. We start at this basis of love for one another, not build into it. Mm-hmm. It starts at this place. And I thought that was really cool. I just was... I like that. I was just thinking, it's like, it's not... Yeah, it does grow over time, but it's also, like you said, even in those hard times, you default to that position of love. Mm-hmm. Not default to, well, we're not in love because, or we're, we're building in love and the default position is no love. Mm-hmm. That's not actually, I mean, marriage starts usually yeah. <laughs> for the most part with a deep lo- conviction of love. Mm-hmm. And so the default position is love. Um, and I, I didn't have the scripture originally here, but I thought about this. Um, and I think it goes perfectly well. It, uh, the pow- What this level of love is supposed to look like, it's supposed to be remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to look like the love of the world. Like the world loves itself. 
Like there's people that they love their own and they, and they do a good job of that. But the love that Christians are supposed to have for one another is supposed to be remarkable, mm-hmm. miraculous. Mm-hmm. And Jesus puts it this way in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, if we do these great things, or if we have this great band, or if we preach this great message, it says, if you love one another the way I loved you, the whole world will know, oh, that's a disciple of Christ. Yeah. That's remarkable. So I get the question I have in your marriage, in your relationships at church, would the world look at how you love them as remarkable? Mm. Like that's a remarkable love. Like how could he love like that? How could she love like that after so much has happened to her, after this Mm. or that? That's a, it's got, it, it, it's a remarkable love and it can only be done with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. If you love as I have loved you, um, which is an amazing, amazing kind of love. It's, it's, it's literally remarkable. Uh, and I have some notes here and this is, this is exactly why churches fall apart. This is why friendships dissolve. This is why marriages end. When we let the intensity of our conviction to love each other soften. Mm. You know, we got to that point, it's, uh, you know, a few years into our marriage, our conviction to love one another because of the things we were going through got weakened. I was going to say, I don't feel like softens is just the right word because it sounds mushy gushy, but yeah. I mean, we, we're talking about the dissolving of that belief and conviction. Yeah. And it's not that those things that were happening had some external power to weaken our love for each other we superficially. Chose, we chose that. We let... Our yeah. love. Yeah. Yeah, we chose it. That's mm-hmm. a good word. And so I just want to ask you, like, as we get into this, have you let your love, the earnestness of your love for your spouse, for other believers, weaken mm. for whatever reason? Because someone hurt you, because someone said something harmful about you, because someone didn't pay you back? The relationship's they, messy or hard or challenging, and you just want to walk away. Walk It'd away. be easier. Yeah. There's been so many times I've, I've thought to myself, it would just be easier to move. <laughs> well, we thought that in, in the beginning of our marriage when we were facing hardship and we got to the point at the end of, you know, three and a half years where we were vi- like so incredibly close to walking away, mm-hmm. convinced in our selfish flesh that it would be better for each other yeah, if we, if we just separated move on, and instead God got a hold of our hearts in a remarkable way and re- I mean, he brought it, the message to you first and then to me, but it's a choice. Yeah. And are we going to let our circumstances dictate that choice or are we going to choose it in our hearts and move past those circumstances? Or mm-hmm. even if we have to deal with those circumstances for the rest of our life. And that was the commitment we had to choose. Mm-hmm. There came this pivotal moment where, you know, if people have read our books. They, they know what I'm talking about, but we're standing in church, Aaron, and you're sharing this this heart that God has given you for our marriage to continue on regardless of anything changed. Yeah. That is remarkable. And, and that it, saved us. That saved our marriage. And here's the difference in the, in the types of love, the love that the world has for itself and the love that we are to have for our brothers and sisters and our spouse. Uh, the love that Christ gave to us was unconditional. Yeah. The love that we try and walk in is often transactional. Mm. You do this, I'll do this. You give me this, I'll give you that. Oh, you didn't do the thing or you weren't the certain way, then I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus says, yet while we were still sinners, died for us. So even when we were weakest, when we couldn't save ourselves, Christ died. Christ gave himself up for his bride. And this is the message that Christ gave me that day, reminding me, he's like, hey, are you going to love your wife unconditionally or transactionally? Are you going to love her regardless if she ever gives you what you think you deserve or what you ought to have? Or are you going to love her like I did when you could do nothing for me and I still died for you? John 13 comes back to my mind. Like you said, he, or Jesus says, mm-hmm. love is, I loved you. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This, this sincerity and intensity, this, this earnestness sounds very familiar to how G- Jesus said we would worship God. Mm-hmm. Um, he says this to the woman at the well in John four twenty four. He says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And this isn't talking about worshiping each other, but it's how we love each other in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of those the, the definition going back earlier to those genuine feelings. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not from pretense or deceit. It's, yeah. no, I genuinely love you. I may not know how to do it well, but I'm going to default to love. I'm going to default to giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to love you regardless if you give me what I deserve. And then in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, it says this. And he said to him, you shall love your Lord, love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I remember we read this verse to our kids and they got really confused because we've taught them the 10 commandments Yeah, and they were like, no, 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 that's not the, (laughs) no, you have to honor your mom and dad. Like, yes. (laughs) And what I explained to him is, and this is what Jesus says. He says, anyone who does these won't break any of the laws Mm -hmm. because when you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from them. When you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie to them. When you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet their things. You're going to say, praise God that you've given them those things, God. Praise God. Mm -hmm. They're going to use them for you. I hope Mm -hmm. we don't covet. When we love God, we don't, we don't dishonor our parents. When you, when you love your parents, you're not going to dishonor them. And so that, that's the kind of love that we get to have for one another. And it's actually one of the, it's one of the greatest commandments to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and to love each other as ourselves, to love each other with that intensity. Okay, so we're getting to, up to the last part of this section of scripture. Um, and it's the most powerful one. It's actually the title of this, the, this episode. And it's the reason why Peter is commanding us to love each other in the first place. It's the reason why he's saying to do these things. It's the reason why he gave us the mindset of, hey, the end of all things is a hand. Be this way. Love this way. So before I move on to this next portion of this scripture, I'm going to read the whole scripture again. Uh, It's 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, so here's the... You slowed down there at the end, Aaron. Is, that, know, is that important? <laughs> well, it's the most powerful section of this scripture, I believe. And what's amazing about this is it's the opportunity that believers have to love like Christ. Yeah. What did Christ's love do? Saved us. It covered us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just, we've just been teaching the kids through Adam and Eve, uh, the story of Adam and Eve and, and, and how they were to... It said, God told them that the, surely in the day that you did the tree of good, knowledge of good and evil you will die. And guess what? Well, the kids had the question. They're like, but they, they didn't, didn't die. Yeah, they didn't die. <laughs> Here's what's amazing is something died instead. They covered themselves with fig leaves. God covered them in skins. Mm. 
So an animal had to die. So even then, way back in the beginning, in the very first people, God showed his redemption plan that he was going to substitute the death that we deserve for another. And so it was a picture right then and there of what Christ was going to do. And this is what the believer gets to do. This is the remarkable love that the world's going to see and be like, whoa, those people are God's Christ's disciples because Christ died for them. And look how they love each other. They wouldn't be able to do it without him. Yeah. (laughs) And so love covers a multitude of sins. So here's a question. I, I taught this at church and I asked this question and it was, it was hard for me to get it out without crying, but I said, who doesn't want their sins covered? I said, raise your hand. <laughs> How many hands do you think went up? None. So I asked the listener, do you want your sins covered? Do you thank God that his son, Jesus and the blood that he shed covers your sins completely, that you are made white as snow, that you are clean before God? Okay, so if we can answer that question with like, yes, praise God, then our love should do the same. Our love has that same power. I personally love the fact that God no longer sees my sin. I personally love that who I was before Christ is now dead and buried. But what we often do is we highlight other people's sins. And what it does is it raises us up and puts them down. Mm. Like, oh, so, so and so, you know, I can't believe they would, you know, treat me that way. You can't believe it. I mean, we, how else do we deserve to be treated? Really? Mm-hmm. Like we deserve hell. That's, that's what the human state deserves. So there's, there's other times in marriage that we, we hold their sin against them. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, just whether it's for ammunition later, or maybe you're not intentionally thinking that, but all of a sudden it comes up again and you haven't covered their sin in love. You've been hanging on to it out of, out of bitterness and anger, and you're going to spew it out back in their face mm-hmm. to make them feel a certain way or waiting for them to trip up and it makes you feel better because as long as their sin is greater than your sin, then you're not a sinner. Mm-hmm. That's like the logic we use. I know that we, we struggled with this. Like you, you believe because I struggled with certain things, you didn't even want to see your own sin. Mm-hmm. The things that you were dealing with your own pride, your own bitterness, your mm-hmm. own angers. Cause I was the sinner mm-hmm. in the relationship. I was the one that needed to repent. I was the one that needed to change. And I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like I didn't, but we do that. We look, we, we, we long for the sin in others. Like, oh, because if they, since they're that way, I can be this way. Rather than wanting to cover those sins, want, ra- rather than wanting to overlook them and remind those people of who they are in Christ without pretense, without this idea of like, I'm going to point this out because I want to hurt them mm-hmm. or I want to feel better. I um, think just kind of glancing back over those first few years of marriage, something else that I've struggled with is um, holding on to the sins that you struggled with even after, you know, saying I forgive you or trying to mm-hmm. make up and resolve things um, because I, I had this belief about you that you were going to fail me. So I was building a case, right? So You're then the, next, too, the yeah. next time you messed up, I go, see, this is the type of person that you are. And I held up a mirror to show you your sin instead of pointing you to God and saying, but he's redeemed you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't you give you, like I didn't give you, you, I didn't give you the positive message because I truly cared about restoration. At that point, I was looking for a case in order to get out, mm-hmm. to leave, to say you're this way and I can't handle it. Yeah, and that, and that leads me to this question: Do we are, do we see our sin, our spouse's sins against us as special or less deserving of forgiveness and grace? Do we see the sins and shortcomings of others towards us as less deserving? as more, as special. Like, oh, what they, yeah, yeah. I've done things. I get it. God forgives me. But what they've done, no. Mm-hmm. What they've done is not, 
forgivable. What they've done is you can't tell me to love that person. Well, you know what? I don't, I'm not telling you anything. God says it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you give that word picture? Cause I think it, it perfectly sums up this idea of when we love the way Christ loves what it does. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, this idea of, of covering a multitude of sins by our love the word picture that I got in my mind to like help me understand that is a blanket and its function. Mm. Um, when you think about a blanket and you rep being wrapped up and curled up on the mm. couch with it, it provides warmth and comfort and padding yeah. and it consumes you. It, it, consumes, protects, it protects you. It, you. Like it's yeah. just all around you. And it was a really beautiful uh, picture for me to understand how God covers us. Mm. Kind of like even like you said, going yeah. back to Adam and Eve, how he covered them, mm-hmm. you know. And then the picture I got, and the Bible even uses it, it says that our sins are made white as snow. Mm-hmm. And if and we live in a place that snows, and you see all the landscape, there's all the colors, the grass, the concrete, the trees, the houses. Pretty soon everything starts to fade away. It snows, <laughs> and guess what? Everything's the same color. Everything's white. Everything's white and beautiful. And it, you, it could be on the dirtiest, muddiest area, and it's a beautiful white field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what... That's what Christ's blood does is it covers us. Mm-hmm. And out of our thankfulness for that, we get, to, we get to love others the same way. And this isn't an overlooking of sin. This isn't a pretending sin hasn't happened. And right. I'll talk about that in a second. But it's, it's the way we love that no one, like no one's sin is special that doesn't deserve our forgiveness because what we've done is so worthy of punishment. Mm-hmm. Every, the littlest sin that we've done is detrimental to our own nature. And Christ has forgiven that in us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading in uh, Leviticus this morning, and it was talking about all of the sacrifices and all the atonements, and uh, you know the priest is supposed to do this, and all. Like, it was so weird. I'm, I'm reading. I was like, I want to watch a video on this. So I, I watched the Bible Project's video on atonement. Oh, they're good. Yeah, it was good. And I almost started crying in Starbucks because I go to Starbucks after the gym, watching it because. It was explaining how the atonement was a replacement and it was talking about the two types of evil. There was the sin against your brother or God and it washes that away. But the other thing is, is the broken relationship aspect. So like you, you made a, like, let's say you stole something, you paid it back. Right. But there's also now distrust and fear that's in the, in the relationship. And so that has to be atoned for as well. And so there's this picture of the priest sprinkling blood over the, the, over the, um, the temple and the tent of meeting, right? And it showed this picture of like, there's all this black looking weeds on the ground. And every time the blood hit the ground, it turned to, you know, normal. And it said, the blood also brought us into a safe relationship and a love relationship. And that's what this love does when it's covering. It's not just getting, pretending things didn't happen. It's actually mending relationships so that we can walk with people, not in fear, Mm. not in, in angst or anxiety but we can actually walk with people in freedom mm-hmm. and in love and in purity. That's what this does. And I just, I wanted to share that because it literally almost made me cry when I was thinking how, what God's done for me and how he's, he didn't just fix the offense. He also fixed the relationship that was broken because of the offense. It's remarkable. Yeah. So I just want to quickly, you know, we, we talked through a lot of the scriptures, but I wanted to quickly say, this isn't to say we ignore sin. Because that actually is unloving. Ignoring someone's sin is unloving. The loving thing to do is to address the sin, not out of our own vindication, trying to get something paid back to us, but out of, like you said, like pointing them back to the truth of Mm -hmm. what God said about them. Or if they're not a believer, 
to repentance and salvation. Mm-hmm. So the, the loving way to, we deal with sin lovingly and we come to people in truth and lo- and our, our, our position is of, we want to see the best for you. We want you to be in a right relationship with us. You know, as Matthew 18 says, is like, you've won your brother. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you go to them for is for the purpose of winning your brother, not for winning the argument or winning the, you know, oh, see, the, the, all I want is a, an apology and I'll, and we'll be good. No, you're going with the intention of like, Hey, we're, this is broken right now. We need to fix this. Mm-hmm. So we, this is love covering a multitude of sins. Isn't to say that the sins just disappear. It's to say that we deal with them the biblical way, the mm-hmm. loving way for the purpose of reconciliation. Cause that is the ministry we've been given mm-hmm. is reconciliation. And we do this for people because we desire the same <laughs> reciprocation, right? Of I, love. I want it. I want, I want people to overlook and cover the sins that I've committed, even in, mm-hmm. even the slightest or smallest, however, there's no degree. It doesn't matter if, if I'm imperfect. I want someone to love me still. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to remember, especially in marriage. So um, I hope that bit of scripture encourages you in your walk. Um, as usual, we pray um, before signing off. So we're going to pray. Dear Lord, we lift up our hearts to you right now and ask that you would make us a people who love others earnestly. Holy Spirit, direct our hearts and remind us of your word. We pray we would above all things love others. We pray we would love our spouse, our children, our friends, and those who are in our life. May your love pour out of us. May your love pouring out of us transform our marriages. We pray others would be impacted by the love we share. We pray we'd be able to love so deeply that it covers a multitude of sin. We pray that instead of shame or guilt, people would feel undoubtedly loved by us and by you. We pray for your word to be fulfilled through our choices to walk in love and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us uh, for this episode. We pray it blessed you, uh, of course. And uh, don't forget to join the Parenting Prayer Challenge. That's parentingprayerchallenge.com. It's completely free and we pray blesses you. See you next week. Did you enjoy today's show? If you did, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Also, if you're interested, you can find many more encouraging stories and resources at marriageaftergod.com and let us help you cultivate an extraordinary marriage. We're looking for people who have been blessed by this free podcast and our free daily marriage prayer emails and who want to help be a blessing to others. Creating and hosting this podcast and sending out our daily emails do incur a financial cost. And we want to invite you to join our faithful patron team to help financially support these resources so that they can remain free for all who need them. Please join our patron team today and become one of the faithful financial supporters who desires to help bless thousands of marriages around the world. Your support will help us pay for the creation, hosting, and promotion of our podcast and daily emails. Thank you, and we hope to see you become a Marriage After God patron.